Tender Hockey Podcast, an old goalie's views on the week that was in the world of hockey, from junior right up to the NHL and everything in between. There may have been a few too many frozen pucks to the head, but that won't stop this old tender from giving his two cents worth on all things hockey. Welcome to Flailing Tender Hockey Podcast, brought to you today by Rocket Sports and RocketSports.com. Use promo code 1420RUCK for all your backyard sports training accessories. You can get to yourself 10% off your purchase today. Uh, today, I'm joined by a graduate of Athlon Murray College, Notre Dame in 1992, NCAA champion with the Maine Black Bears in 1999, professional hockey player with stops in the American League, International League, East Coast League, West Coast League, United Hockey League. I don't think he left anything out. But most importantly, the guy who single-handedly Pushed my goals against average to heights that I never thought were possible when I played in the AJHL. Friend of mine, co-graduate Notre Dame from 92, the pride of Fort McMurray, Alberta, number nine, Bobby Stewart. How's that for an intro, Bobby? Buddy, I never thought you'd be that nice to me. That's amazing. <laughs> I wish you were half that nice to me when we played against you... each other in the AJ. I was well, nice to you. Rads, they tell you that uh, you bug the ones you love, right? So I just would focus that much harder when you came into Fort Mac, right? Yeah, you guys had some power teams on that. You, you were lighting me up on a nightly basis. Old uh, Red Light Redlinski lighting my uh, the back of my neck had a sunburn on it. There's no doubt about that. Playing at the old uh, the old barn in McMurray. I think you guys had great. I think you guys had better teams than you showed. I just think you had a lot of weird. Uh, coach dynamics behind the the few years you guys were there. There was there were some different things. Bobby, how you been the last twenty seven years since we saw each other last, buddy? It's been uh, it's been good. It's been it's been good. You know, I'm um, family life now and taking kids to the rink. And um, you know, I had my daughter out at eight eight thirty this morning, uh, and Terry Ruskowski was out there running coaching her. So Jeez, like there's a name for Yeah, the, the world comes that. yeah, the world comes full circle sometimes. So yeah, it's 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 been a it's been good, right? I think like all of us, every year is a new year and a new challenge and it's been fun. Yeah, right on. Uh, age of 13, 14, Bob, we'll get right into her here. You go to Notre Dame. How did that come about? Like, was it you going to your your, your parents? Was your parents go to you? Was it something that was uh, brought up from somebody else from Port McMurray where you grew up? How did that all come about? We end up in Wilcox, Saskatchewan at the age of uh, 13 or 14 years old, whatever it was. Because you went well, nine, think, right? Yeah, I think that's a great story. So, you know, Fort McMurray is one of those cities kind of like uh, Campbell River, kind of north, and you had you – had, always at least nine to 15 kids pouring in from that place into Notre Dame. So I think there was like this older generation, Greg Bocash, who played on the 88 uh, championship team with Rod Brendamore and those yeah. guys. And I knew him. And then slightly above me was Terrence Oliver, uh, who I played junior with, if you remember, in Fort oh, yeah. Tyler Romanchuk. Yeah, I remember him too. Uh, I think all so, you guys scored on me a lot, but whatever. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think I was running into that age. I was quite small. Uh, you know, not that I ever grew big, but I was quite smaller than a lot of my guys my age growing up through uh, Fort McMurray. And I had ran into a couple coaches in the Wee Bantam area where you almost didn't make the team and you're like, well, you know what? I, it, maybe it's time for a, a different setting. So I had, I remember it coming home one day and asking my parents if I could go to Notre Dame. And we uh, had held a dinner with the Olivers, Terrence Olivers family at the time, just to get a little bit more insight. And uh, 
they ask me after if you want to go, you want to go. And me and my brothers all end up going. So a lot of sacrifice from my parents' side uh, to send all of us there. Um, but it all benefited us. We all ended up with, you know, U.S. college scholarships, a couple national titles. And uh, it, it was a sacrifice that I'm sure your parents had to make, too. It's not easy letting your kid go. Now that I'm a parent, I realize, holy moly, would I, when I have done the same thing. And uh, But it was... Uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting uh, story to get there. And then nonetheless, when you get there in grade nine, it's a, it's a rude, vastly, you know, rude awakening uh, when you get there, right? So, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like when you get there, especially, like, I, I didn't go to grade 11. You were there in grade nine. So it's uh, you're very formative years. Who was a couple of guys there once you got there? Maybe some grade 11, 12 guys, your old boys per se, what the, the old guys. Who well, was somebody that you looked up to a little bit and someone that kind of put you under their wing your first year at Notre Dame? Where Because uh, you guys were in Edith Hall, so you didn't have the whole, the, the the big dynamic of being in Badger dorm. But, like, who were some guys you looked up to a little bit back then? Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. I showed up on campus. There was a, a Fort McMurray guy. I made the drive with Brett Steven. He was a year older. I don't think you ran into him because I think no. he left after grade 10. But uh, they lead you to Edith Hall. I stayed where the grade nines stayed. And then, you know, you shared the dorms with the girls, right? Not that they, not that you were allowed in their dorm, but basically you shared a couple little eating areas and uh, lounge areas. So I walked into the dorm trying to figure out, and here there was, was this big, I didn't know how things worked. There was this big hairy guy, shirt off, big guy, hair all over his chest, hair on his back. And I'm like, holy smokes, You man. just hit puberty probably or not I, even, I, maybe. Rads, I hadn't even hit puberty yet, right? <laughs> I still, so I'm like, what am I in for? So I'm like, excuse me, sir. And I remember this to the day because I walked down the stairs and here's this guy as I turn left into the hallway. And I said, excuse me, sir, do you, do you know where I would, you know, be living? And he's like, no, he's like, I don't. I just actually came in myself and I'm in this grade nine room over here. And it was Bob Baumuller in grade nine. <laughs> And I'm like, if this is what they're spitting out at Notre Dame, I'm I'm after. I'm not making any high level hockey teams, right? Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, I had uh, a lot of stories that year from the Clint Millamock. We used to, you know, guys would come in the older groups, grade 10, 11, 12 guys hold meetings and their hockey meetings. He had wet the floor as they took the shoes off, and then when they came back to put their shoes on, you'd drench them and you'd stay around to get beat beaten up and. So there's a lot of guys. I think the Millamuck brothers were always yeah. really good to me. They were a couple years older. I still share group chats. Jerry I played with in pro. Clint is coaching in the North American Hockey League, first in the league. And, um, you know, dorm leaders. And then I had the Fort Mac guys. They always kind of protected me a little bit, too. Like, just, to, you know, make sure I was okay. Yeah, the guy that I first remember, like you, you tell your story about uh, Bobby Baumuller, who was probably when he was farted out, he had hair on his back. My God, I was a hairy beast back then. But the guy that I remember was uh, Mort Jeremy Morton. So remember that name? Well, this so thing. I hate, I talk to Mortz every day. He gives me a bad stock tip at least weekly, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on a, a chat here and there with Mortz, right? So yeah, I see, I see Mort. I was, I can't remember why I went back to dorm, and he was, I think, it was our dorm leader, assistant dorm leader, and he was. 
He was dancing down the hallway. He thought he was all by himself listening to Don't Stop Believing, dancing down the hallway. And I, and I looked, and I, I was 6'2", 140 pounds back then. And I, go, and I start laughing at this guy who's 200-plus pounds and just a monster of a man compared to me. And I was laughing at him. He said, if you tell anybody this story, Red Lynch, I'll kill you. So it was just a funny thing back then how there, there was such a such a disparity of guys like from grade 12 to, to grade 11 and, and then oh, down, yeah. down to grade 9. It was crazy. They, they, the older guys loved having fun with the grade niners, that's for sure, right? Yeah. So no getting around that. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're in grade ten. You played Banner AAA. Uh, that's when people first started noticing you, you could really skate a lot. Uh, what were some of your like some thoughts your 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 Banner AAA year and some of the guys you played with and then when you thought, hey, maybe I can make a go of this. Maybe a scholarship opportunity can happen. Maybe something can. But at what point did you go during that season? And go, hey, I'm pretty good at this hockey thing. Yeah, it was interesting because my grade nine year, I barely made the AA team with Alski. He kind of picked me up last minute. So. Um, playing in the Regina League I still hadn't hit puberty and all these you know henchmen you're playing against but uh yeah I, I think the next year I just was very fortunate that I started to have a little bit of a growth spurt and uh we really had a great Bantam AAA year uh team that year we we, we lost to both back then they used to have the Ontario East called East Pure Later and then the West and we lost to both it was uh, Winnipeg uh, Hawks and then uh, the Toronto Red Wings, which had Pekka, Billy Bowler, and so we had we had great teams and and uh, ended up you know faring quite a bit in all our tournaments. And then I was uh, you know I ended up getting MVP that year, so I really improved quite a bit with a lot of good players on our team like Steve Rourke, Mark Hussey, uh, Corey Bettles. We had but quite a bit of good players, so it was uh, it was definitely a big growth from walking there in grade nine to end up getting MVP of the, uh, you know, your, your, where I was just glad to make Bantam AAA my second year. That's for sure. Yeah. Grade, uh, grade 11. When I, I, I first met you there, uh, I remember walking in there, man, you did not like me for whatever reason, but we, we ended up getting along later on that year when it was just one of those old boy things, I think. And I didn't uh, take too well to being told what to do by anybody back then, but it was always a fun time. Uh, your grade 11 year, you, you, you end up making the triple A midget team. You played Sask first, which like you said, Steve O'Rourke that, yeah. How, how did that come about the Sask first thing? And what was that like playing for in the uh, Canada winter games? I was, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, I, I those fancy white jackets. Ooh. Yeah, and they held, <laughs> yeah, it's true. They held the camp. They held the camp actually at Notre Dame in the summer. And again, I was just trying to make the team. Uh, wasn't definitely a shoe in by any means. And I ended up leading the camp in scoring in the summertime with a lot of good players. The Buckburgers, Hurtburgers. There was a lot of you know guys who went on and had great American Hockey League NHL types careers. Brendan Witt. There was a lot of guys. So. I ended up leading that and then uh, was appointed one of the captains. And I think we finished third. We ended up winning bronze. We just slightly got out. Uh, I think we lost an OT to, to Ontario, which had, yeah, they had a lot of guys like Pekka and Pronger. And and so, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. That year was kind of interesting because we had a, we held a tournament in Red Deer where it had our major AAA team. I don't know if you remember this, but we had our major AAA team that I currently was on, but then I was on the SAS first team. So I had to play for the SAS against my triple A. And of course, Stevie O'Rourke's my line mate. And, and anytime we went out there against Linger or Colburn or Kruger, we'd just chip them or, you know, we ended up beating them in overtime that game. Right. So we were not the most well-liked when we tried to sit down with the boys at lunch a week later. Right. So, um, but it was, 
it was a, it was great. Uh, we had a great major AAA year uh, that year. We lost, uh, you know, in the Air Canada platform. We ended regionals up at, or whatever it was, wasn't it? To- yeah, yeah. It was it was in Winnipeg. So right before, I guess you go to we lost and we were winning with, I think five minutes to go, and we had I think it was somebody had a major penalty. I won't say his name was, but he had a major penalty, and it kind of cost us. But I, think I have an idea who that might have been, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a great building year. Cause I had Barry McKenzie as a coach and to see and be able to kind of see how he ran things. Uh, it, it was a good experience. You guys had a lot of guys who wanted to play pro, like your midget team, like Ryan Bach ended up playing the National Hockey League goaltender. He was, he was great. He was my roommate in my grade 11 and 12 years. He was fantastic. Uh, Dean Morp was on your team there, a good leader kind of guy. He was yeah. a bit of a, bit of a wild, wild man out there. And yeah. like, you guys had a really great we, team. We had a lot you of, guys. we had 10, 10, 11, 12 guys who ended up either going to pro or with color scholarships. Yeah. D1, like Cole, Colburn, Linger, uh, Bergen. Yeah. Right. Tony Bergen. Yeah. Tony Bergen. Dufresne went to Cornell. Uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of good players that you the Hannah, Hannah went to Brown. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah, if I looked at the list, I'd probably even pick out more guys, but, uh, you know, Coley went to Ferris state, Kruger went to Mankato. Uh, there's quite a few guys on that team actually. Yeah. He went on to go on grade 12 year. You cracked the, uh, the junior a lineup for a year. You're, you're there for a little bit. Uh, was there ever a point, and you got sent back down to Midget AAA, I believe, but I can't remember what point in the season. Was there ever a point you, you were going to go, I, I'm done with this AAA stuff and I'm good enough to play? No. Oddly enough, I was given a choice. So back then it was uh, me, Steve O'Rourke, and Mike Yoshino yep. that were the only guys that had played the pre. And there's another guy who played the year before, right? Yoshino yep. played in Yale, right? So there's another scholarship guy. So, uh, Kind of walked up to me and Yosh and, and Stevie and asked us, you know, you could be extras and stay within the junior, you know, because they were worried about us leaving. So it was kind of a choice. Uh, uh, the junior team that year to me was just uh, not the greatest, not a lot of offensive guys. And that was, uh, who was the coach that year? Was that? Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was Barry. No, it was Barry. It was okay. Barry. Yeah. Odessa was the year before. Year four, so Barry, right. yeah, yeah. Barry went back up and then uh, we ended up having Terry O'Malley as the midget AAA coach that year. So uh, again, kind of put the ego aside uh, you know, it was hard for me and Stevie and you know, like some of us, Yosh played also in the Canada games, right? With yeah. Team Manitoba. And so it was a little bit of a hard ego push, but we said, you know, it's probably best to get ice time. And at that time, there wasn't so much of a rush to say, hey, I'm playing 17 in junior. Uh, and it ended up helping me quite a bit because we had a good run that year again. And, um, you know, Stevie decided to go to the Western Hockey League. Yeah, he went Tri Cities that year. Just like, he, yeah. He, yeah, he was he was only around until I wouldn't even say Thanksgiving, and he was gone. Yeah, he would have been gone early, probably yeah. October, November, right? So, yeah. uh, and then me and Yosh stayed, and uh, you know, uh, it's kind of from there. He ended up going right from Major Triple A to to Yale, which kind of shows you, right? Like yeah. uh, that great big brain he had didn't hurt him either. No, and he was a good little hockey, good player, a good yeah. hockey player, and he's been very successful in his life too. So it's 
been good to see. And he contributes back to Notre Dame quite a bit. Uh, he's on the board now and does a lot of good things. So yeah, I seen something he went uh, yeah, yeah overseas and the whole bit. Yeah, it's good. Uh, we we graduate that year, uh, nineteen ninety two. We're kind of just flailing flailing away. Not really. We never really talked a whole like nobody really talked. Like once the season was over, it's different than it is now. Back then, you, you when the season was over, you put your stuff away and that was it. And you didn't really talk too much hockey until it came maybe July August where you're going to play. How did it come up? Like were you ever coming back to Notre Dame or was it like when once you graduated you knew you knew you were gone what was the uh the thought process on Jan- J- J- June 12 13 1992 whatever it was what was your thoughts where your hockey career was going at that point well at that point I was either going to go to Spokane which listed me uh I didn't end up going my 16 17 year because look at it's it's hard to when you're a smaller guy you look in the wall at Notre Dame that great wall we have there with all the guys who go D1 and you know my my biggest thing was I didn't want to leave after a grade 11 I thought we had a really great grade 12 class whether you played junior B or junior A or midget triple A there was a lot of good hockey players like just our junior B team if you look at the team you played with Roddy Collins you had a great coach good players and a lot of those guys went to play junior A so it wasn't like there was just not enough that you know they could have filtered more teams and i think that happened after we left years later yeah there's more like there's two midget triple a teams there was like there was more of an expansion potential for players now in ice time right so like it where we scheduled practices around schooling now practice it's vice versa right it's so, a lot different now than it was yeah it's way different going right? there. No doubt about yeah that. And i got a I got a good inside view because jeremy millamock uh, who had ran it for about eight years, the player development side of things, really brought Notre Dame back to a, a proper level. It's unfortunately he's not there now. He took a job in Coeur d'Alene's new startup prep school, and he's already stealing kids from all over the place. He's, a, crazy. he's, a, good, he's a good recruiter, that guy. So, um, you know, I, I, I just loved our grade 12 class, Rads. We had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of good times in a close-knit group. And, yeah. And uh, sometimes yeah. a little too good. We won't talk about that a whole bunch, but yeah. No, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, reasons why we all passed uh, grade twelve. But uh, I remember one. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mitch Brindamore uh, helped out with that one a little bit, but whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. So, <laughs> so I th- I think for me it was uh, I knew in Fort McMurray at the time Bob Murray, who was the coach, came from Europe. It tried to get me to come the year earlier, and I just I I think I had to finish my Notre Dame grade twelve and development, and yeah. and I think by playing midget triple A that year, uh, getting proper ice time, playing with good players, uh, benefited me, and it's something I tell kids every day today. Right, working with Sam and Arm in the BCHL is like there's no rush. There's no rush, and um, as you can tell, you, you know, look at you play junior B, and you got to play probably every game almost as Pretty a goalie, much. right? So, so yeah, it ventured me back to Fort McMurray, uh, where you know I was trying out against a lot of the guys I grew up with, and and uh, there was a lot of heartbeats in the seats, wondering how I was going to look and how I was going to do, and. Because when you decide to go to Notre Dame, a lot of parents are like, hey, you know, let's prove maybe that wasn't the right move for the Stewart family, that you could have had just as good as a progression here in Fort McMurray the last four years. But I think I think the big the big development strategy was being at Notre Dame and being around guys focused on hockey every day that that mentally you're just stronger than guys who didn't do that. 
Yeah. Like you end up in McMurray, your hometown team. What was it like the first time? Like I, we ended up playing each other the, in the, in the uh, preseason that year. Like we didn't lose a game in preseason. I thought we were on to something. And then you guys ended up having a hell of a year. You guys had it. You got, but you guys ended up having a lot of, uh, 20 year old Western league guys, not a lot, but just enough. And like, you oh, guys no, you're right. strong team. Like you so guys back- recruited pretty heavily back then, uh, guys that were done their Western league careers and they ended up coming back to, to, to McMurray. What was that like your first year playing with those guys? A hundred percent. Right. Back then there was like eight teams. Right. So there wasn't like 16 teams that there is today in the AJ. Um, so you were allowed to have eight 20 year olds, I believe back then, similar to the SJ. Now, now it's only six you're allowed in the Alberta junior hockey league in BC, but, um, there was always kind of that uh, element of being able to make a little bit of money coming back from a, the WHL. So yeah. I think it it did help that we packed the stands every night. You know, it was a good place to play from a, a fan perspective. You didn't really top it in the AJ. I can't remember it. Oh. You know, it's changed now maybe, but it was a loud barn for a, a 18, 20 year old kid. Right. Um, and then uh yeah, we were just we, we had a recruiting style of being able to pick up those WHL twenty year olds. Um, you know, the years I was there. I think there was a couple of bucks that were involved in getting guys to go there, but that's another story for another day, maybe. Uh I remember that there was one guy that played on that first year team, Tony Frenette. That yeah. guy could absolutely fly. There was one game. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it quite vividly. You guys took it was a Sunday afternoon. Six seconds. Six I, seconds. No, there was Remembrance Day. It was Remembrance Day. We'll get to that. But yeah. uh, you guys got smoked in old tonight before. Okay. We, we had you guys. We were up 5 nothing midway through the second period. And uh, I was popping off to the bench. It was in Bonneville. And I was popping off to the bench. And I said something. And you just go, fuck you, Raj. We're going to light you up. And sure as shit, you guys beat us 6-5 that game. And I went out to get the puck at one point, And Frenette just... He just flew and put it in the empty net. I was like, oh, no. Stewie's not going to let let this one down the rest of the season next time I see him. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. No, I lived with Tony my first year at Maine. So uh, he was my line. He was me, him, and Dennis Saharchuk, who came back as a 20-year-old from Portland, right? And uh, so, yeah, we were flying that year. And then Tony left halfway through the year to go kind of start his sit-out year process at Maine, right? Because he had played two or three Tony is one of those under the radar hockey players, right? Not a lot of lateral movement too much, but from a straight speed perspective, I don't think I played with a guy quicker and he could snipe, right? So, um, nonetheless, great guy helps me now on the recruiting side in uh, Salmon Arm and the BCHL, right? So, no, you know, Tony, could, you guys had a lot of good players. And that your second year there, uh, your 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 nineteen year old year, did you have any any prospects actually after your first year? Because you, you were, yeah, you, you I, were rookie I, of the I, year, I, and you and you got ninety yeah, points, whatever finished, it was. And yeah, I finished third in scoring behind Lajeunesse and Fulton, who were those two twenty year olds, and I was eighteen. So real Lajeunesse. Yeah, yeah, Harry hadn't kicked it into second year gear quite yet, right? So, yeah. um, I I had a bunch of offers. Even talking to Calgary Flames, there was a scout that kind of ventured around quite a bit. Uh, my problem was I had to finish up a couple classes, which led me back to my nineteen year old year. Mm-hmm. And then a panic starts in, right? You've got about 15 schools hitting you up. So I went on five visits. And on my fifth visit, I ended up in Anchorage, Alaska, coming from North Dakota or Wisconsin, one of those places. Don't ask me how this happened, but Millsies and those guys, they were 
first year in the WACHA, they were playing top three ranked Minnesota Duluth. We had Derek Plant and Chris Marinucci, who won uh, yeah, the Hobie Baker, and, and they swept them. And they finished fourth in the WCHA in Anchorage at that time. Sullivan Arena had like, and you, I don't know if you ever saw pictures, but the old days, Sullivan Arena in Anchorage was packed. Yeah. It was a great hockey town, right? And uh, they ended up taking me out, having way too much to drink. And then they picked me up for breakfast and drove me over to Brush Christensen's office at the coach and said, hey, Stewie, we didn't tell you this, but... Here's the NLI. Why don't you just sign? Right. And I was with Millsy and those guys, and they ended up, you know, I guess Millsy's a good sales guy, right? So yeah, it was it's how I ended up at Anchorage. And you know, I remember Grant Stanbrook, the main coach, he's like, Why did you sign in Anchorage? Right. So which led me to the next year as a 20-year-old, right? Yeah. So like when you uh your second year, you had you played with a guy by the name of uh that uh, ended up having a pretty decent career for himself, another native guy from Fort McMurray, Chris Phillips. Uh your first yeah. your second year hit, he was only 15, I believe, at that point. Uh so, what was yeah. it like? I remember playing against him and you just go, What the heck? Just ice in his veins, even at the age of 15. Nothing seemed to rattle him even at that age. He seemed very calm, cool all the time. Like, when did the people of Fort McMurray first start to uh to go? man, who's this Phillips kid? Because you were away at Notre Dame, so you might, might not have, because he would have been 10 years old when you left. What was it like the first year having Phillips in dressing room? What was he, what was he like the entire time? Well, there? I, I knew Chris quite well. Uh, his his dad and my dad played on the YFL Coyotes, they called them. <laughs> they were like a legendary old-timers team that have won everything they went into, right? So I knew of Chris and kind of his progression, Um and then, you know, Chris at a young age, his dad had, had bad diabetes that kind of progressed. And his mom had an unfortunate event where she couldn't walk. So at a young age, Chris had to really look after his parents with his sister. And they come from a great family. And, uh, uh, yeah, he the one, the one crazy thing about Chris is he was never the guy that looked flashy. But solid. he was solid and steady, made the easy play had hockey sense, uh, you know, from a, from gapping to reading the ice well defensively and offensively. He just, you know, he endured that at a young age. And and he was a mature kid, really mature young, which really helped him, right? So um, you don't see that too much in today's game where a 15-year-old can, you know, go play junior hockey. It's not easy. Especially back then, the Wild West that it was in the AJ, there was some, uh, well, the Bonneville Pontiacs, we, we weren't the uh, the nicest group to play against. We took a lot of penalties, did a lot of stupid shit out in the ice. Back then, it was uh, absolute uh, mayhem. That second year, you guys went, you guys took old to the finals. You uh, you had a, a guy by the name of Bernie, Richard Perrant in net there. You yeah. kind of changed your season around that year, I think, because you had uh, you had good goaltending, but when, when uh, Perrant showed up for you guys, that it was, uh, you almost took out that old team who only lost four games all year. Yeah, we went to game seven, I believe, against them. So Rich Rich changed the dynamic. I think we all know as if you've got – we had a good decor you show already. Show me a good goal, I'll show you a good coach. Yeah, right. Doesn't the, hurt, the, right? Goal tending, the goal tending does, does help. So, yeah, we, we – uh, they had only lost three games, and we matched that in the playoffs and almost, almost, almost beat them. There was a couple games we lost in OT that were tight too. Yeah. So it was a – it was a tough series and one that, you know, I still look back on and it was one of my prouder moments. I've won a few championships and that was like, you had to, you know, Ross Harris, who I live close by too. I bounced back and forth from Canada to Texas. Ross Harris was just, yeah. uh, Ross just texted me this morning, asked me to go to the Dallas Stars game. So 
you know, some of these guys you still stay in good contact with. And we had a, we had a good team. You know, the funny story about Chris Phillips, because, you know, I'm 19 and he's 15. So you take 10 years later and I didn't tell him I was going to the, to the Sens camp. So I was, I was lucky enough to go to a couple NHL camps and, you know, I was tight with Chris, but I didn't tell him. So he, he saw this list and he's like, Bobby Stewart, like happy the same guy. So, so he came in the locker room and I said, Hey, how, how, how fitting right now I'm the baby. Yeah. <laughs> Holding the bottle, hoping I can. Uh, hey, can I borrow a couple bucks? Yeah. yeah can I, <laughs> he took me out to lunch a few times, and I remember back in the day I was laughing. He took me for better better lunches than we took him out for Subway back in the day. Yeah, so. there's no getting around that. Uh, like you said, you ended up in Anchorage. You left after half the season there. You, you just what just wasn't doing it for you. Like, what was the situation? I I, how, I just and how did you tell the coach I'm out? Like, what's what was well, the conversation you had there? It's probably uh, so I I. Came back at Christmas time and I had to sit down with my parents and I was just like, ah, you know, it's just not a culture that they had some really good players there. I mean, really good players that could play anywhere else. Do you want to be top? The coaching staff at the time was old school, kind of the old same coaching staff that was during their independent days. And they weren't evolving with the new age hockey and systems and, most of the time we just lost games by default because of the coaching system. So yeah. I went back, pondered around for about two weeks, made a couple calls and decided uh, I'd come back to junior. Uh, what I didn't realize is there's that date, January 10th or whatever, and, and Fort Mac forgot to look into it. Yeah, there's a signing day that's coming up right away. Actually. I think it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so it's, still January, the same, it's still the same. January yeah, it's still 10th, the still same, same, right? Yeah. So January 10th, and I think I missed it like by January 11th or, or like just by hours. And the old Grizzlies uh, GM, I can't remember his name back then, right? Chris but, Stewart. No, no, no. That was a coach GM. I meant to say the owner. One of the, I can't okay. remember yeah. He called it into the league. So I ended up having to sit out for like six, seven games till they ended up letting me play. Um, and then I then I ended up I ended up in California for the summer after the season. We, well, we lost to the Canucks in game seven and they ended up winning it. They win two. the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, they so we lost to Olds the year before in the final. They won the whole thing and we lost the Canucks in game seven and they ended up winning the whole thing. So we had some pretty good runs. We should have beat Canucks, no doubt, that year. I just think injuries, a few of us were injured and we ended up playing game seven in Calgary. And they just they they back then the coach did a really good job, I think, with they didn't have any all-stars, but they had like four great lines of just coming at you. They played hard all the time. Hard. Like they just yeah. they, they just played hard. They 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 wheeled pretty good. Yeah, they they weren't big, they didn't they weren't great by it. Like, but yeah, they, they just played really hard all the time. Yeah, and like I said, there was like you know only eight teams, so every night was a pretty good every every night was a pretty good night. I mean, I loved our Bonneville. I've got some great Bonneville stories because when LaForge was there, oh, right Jesus. with you, yeah, buddy. I have I have two great stories that I tell to this day. Love it. So you guys came up to Fort Mac, and LaForge was about a month into it. Now, like word is hit that this guy is like batshit crazy, right? Like, oh yeah. Just, so it happened to be like one of those Sunday afternoon games and we lit you guys up 11 to 1, 12 1. But, when, least, it got, yeah. <laughs> but it, when it got to 9 1 or 8 1, he started making your guys, you included, when we would score, he'd make you guys come by the bench and all high five each other. Do you remember that? I remember that, yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember that. I, to this day, I'm like, holy shit, I've oh, never seen it. was nuts. 
And then, and then uh, I was talking to Jigger, Scotty Davidson, before the game one time, and he told me, you guys, there's a kind of a double-ended story, but you guys would do one-on-one drills down the boards, and he would teach the defense to stick pitchfork, the stick into the plexiglass where there's the... Yeah. the- where there was a separation to try to separation, you could, their you, could close, you could close line guys. Oh, the practices so he, were absolutely bananas. So he's telling me that story, and we get to the game time that night, and uh, we were up a goal. It was kind of tight, and with like three or four minutes to go, LaForge calls me for an illegal stick. I had a big banana on it. <laughs> so I pretend like I don't know what's going on with the refs as they're trying to get me. I head to the bench and I throw my stick into I remember the, that. Yeah. yeah you remember? I throw I my stick that. into the bench and then I throw all the sticks over. So like now the ref's sitting there asking me which one's my stick. That one. And all, I, <laughs> all I remember LaForge doing is leaning over the fu- uh, over the glass, coming over our bench. I thought he was gonna go crazy. Oh, He's man. like, Stuart. That was fucking smart. <laughs> he's told me how smart of a move I was for me throwing all the sticks down. Oh, right, and I was like, "Holy shit!" They ended up giving me a two two minute delay of game because they couldn't find what I wouldn't tell them what stick was mine. Yeah. Right, but uh, yeah, it was uh, the AJ was tough, offensive. Uh, just what it didn't have was a lot of exposure. Right. That was the biggest thing that I noticed. I, I went to the BC League for a little bit to Nanaimo, and it was just a different. It was a different level of um, everything. Like it was on the news, it was in the papers everywhere. And, and Alberta, the Alberta League didn't promote itself at all back then. Like not, no. not even a little bit. Crowds everywhere. Like you go to Calgary, there'd be parents and girlfriends in the stands, and that was about it. There were so many great hockey players passed up in the AJHL. I mean, we had less teams, and there was. A lot of good and and listen, we had kind of a in between the BC and the SJ. We were maybe not as tough as the SJ, but more tough than the BC league. Yeah. Maybe not as offensive as BC, but still steady yeah. and a lot of offensive guys. So I think we got it kind of caught into the you know the train tracks of being in a lot of northern places that weren't exciting to to is going into BC, right? Like. Yeah. You go into Vernon, Salmon Arm, Penticton. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. It's just a lot nicer atmosphere, right? We're getting so. 1,500 a night, no matter what, everywhere or more in some places, right? In the Alberta League, yeah. you, you roll into St. Albert and you're playing in a in a, a side rank with, with only three rows of stands yeah. and everything else. Good, I, 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 good I, players, I can, but. I can name, honestly, I'm a hockey nerd that way. I can probably name 30, 40 guys that should have had the scholarship coming out of AJ. That's crazy. You, you end up, Bobby, like when your, your 20-year-old season's over, yeah. how, how did you, uh, like what happened there with going to Maine? I, and was there, was so there was, a deal set up? Like how did that well, all come about? It's confidential, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there was, well, there's some, like we'll get to that in a second, because you guys yeah. had some sanctions against you when you went there. Yeah, so long story short, I was going to Maine. I figured there was something nefarious yeah, going on was, there, but I didn't want to talk about it, but whatever. It was, then it was off the table for a little bit. There were some weird things and events going on at Maine at the time when I jumped ship. And so I was I verbally committed to Wisconsin. And then about two months or a month before kind of making that solid and heading off, uh, Maine came back into the picture. Um, my first year I went there, sanctions hit um, pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, it was a transfer year for me, which look at at the end of the day, I deal with it every day with kids today in the portal on NCAA. So if I, I I'm, I'm sure you know now, but. Oh, it's nuts. Yeah. It, 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 I, I still believe you should sit out a year. 
right? So like, even though I went through the process, it was my decision to move schools, you should sit out a year. Um, and what that does is it has the coach and the players think long-term rather than now, right? Say if a kid comes in there and it's not the natural fit for the kid or vice versa for the coach, everybody's breaking ties. It's like a, you know, it's like a divorce 55% times 10 more, right? Like everybody yeah. thinks, you know, the grass is greener. So it's just different. Up, That's all it is. I ended up going to Maine learning a lot, you know, uh, a lot of practice time my first year, um, which led me to my sophomore year where uh, we were banned and we were the number one team in the country. So, you know, we, we beat North Dakota. We swept BU four games that year and they ended up playing in the final. Nobody would have touched us. I even tell the Almers today, like nobody would have touched us that year. No chance. And again, maybe maybe they would have, but we all got in great shape because we, we were allowed to go to spring break. So we ended up going to Panama City. So, um, yeah, we were sanctioned pretty hard till really my senior year. And well, so you had one year, yeah. Like you, what was the biggest adjustment adjustment from going from uh, scoring ninety points and lighting me up on a nightly basis to uh, when you when you go to Maine, where there's a lot of good players, not just a few good players? What was the biggest adjustment that you had to make to uh, to get get your career keep keep uh, going on the right path? Well, I think it was it, it was it was weird because going to Maine, everybody scored fifty, right? Wherever they were, junior wise. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of good players. I, I, I was put into a little bit of a different box when I got there cause I was a little bit older. So I played just as much ice time as, as anybody the next, next to me, but it was a different role at times, right? I'd be playing against Krog and Drury. I was a guy that they were like, Hey, you're going to drive these guys nuts. Um, you know, I mean, you were guys- good at that. You drove a lot of people nuts throughout your career. I think, and I remember playing against you in, in junior and you drove me fucking nuts, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you were good at that. But I knew, I knew because like you were a very talented goalie, but I knew I could also get in your kitchen. Well, that right? was the big, my biggest flaw was that, uh, what was it? The, the 10 inches between my legs for the five hole and the six inches between my ears was my biggest flaw. But anyway, buddy, so. all, all, <laughs> all confidence. You're a very, you were a very good athlete. And that's the one thing you look for in today's world. Like a goalie that's just, cause you know, the goalies today, they just use size and ball they're, they're just big. Yeah. They're not they're not athletic, right? Some of them. They're just so big. you 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 had you were a D1 goalie just, you know, in Bonneville it's a little bit challenging sometimes cuz guys weren't back checking or playing systems with that coaching style, right? So <laughs> unless you're going to unless yeah. you're going to stop 65 shots a night, uh, it was going to be very difficult, yeah. right? So yeah, I'd I'd get into guys grill uh, you know, at me and I was one of those guys that we had such a great fan base. I'd I'd I was told to kind of get wave my stick and get the crowd going at times. So Sean, Sean Walsh, who to this day and Grant Stanbrook, I don't know if you know much about those guys, but they were, I, I call them the Elon Musk and Steve Jobs of, of hockey. Yeah. I really mean it. Like Grant Stanbrook was under Bob Johnson at, at Wisconsin. He was the guy that pulled in Curtis Joseph. He pulled in Chelios, Gary Suter, Granado, and won national titles there. And then Sean, brought him into Maine and, you know, 16 national final fours and eight, you know, it was it, it, Grant Stanbrook is probably the smartest mind that's ever hit the game of hockey. And that's no word of a lie. When he kind of semi-retired after 2008, you'll look at Maine, they had a, over 800 winning percentage from 88 to 2008 Crazy. when he was there. And then he leaves and it's been uh, a really a crap, crap show of trying to 
get mean to where it used to be like you know they've been ranking from 35 to 69 like the yeah, last it's crazy to see that 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 whole but program go the way it's gone it's, 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 it's all culture right as you get older i'm sure you see it in a lot of things rads right it's it's, it's you know who's setting the culture and the standards of the program we were breaking down video in the 90s like our assistant coaches who are great gene like Gene Riley coaches in Russia. We had Nate Lehman who won the world juniors two years ago, won a national title with Providence. He was our grad assistant. Like we always had this awesome cast of real coaches that taught you a lot of things about life and the game. And so that was the one thing that I didn't have, uh, even at Notre Dame, right? You didn't really have that, uh, the physics of the game outside of it. So it, it taught me a lot. Um, and I was very fortunate that, you know, and, and being able to be at that program sure taught me a lot. You play with uh, a guy I play with in Nanaimo, Steve Korea, and he ended up yeah. having a little bit of a, uh, a, a NHL career. Uh, I think Steve Korea is the kind of guy that would uh, would have been a better player now because he was highly skilled, could skate a little bit, and that's how the game's a little bit different now than it was 24 oh, years ago. Without, without a doubt. Because now, because he was a smaller guy, but his, yeah. his, his skill level was something else. So Stevie showed up and uh, – you know, he, he was a he was a true freshman, um, and he just needed a little bit more time as Paul. You know, just right away made an impact. That yeah. you know, that's the best college hockey team of all. You know, of of all time, right? They went forty two one and two, and you know, as a goaltender, they had Gar Snow and Dunham. Right? It's yeah. like who's playing tonight? That's not a bad thing to have, right? So um stevie came in you know a little bit of a slow start but uh you know playing true freshman on a main is not an easy thing to do but then stevie's career was uh exceptional like you know he was a guy i would have liked to play with stevie asked to play with me but i was kind of one of those guys that was uh kind of put in the box at times but um i would have not changed anything being able to win a national championship with those guys every year we get every five years i live a block from like I, I had Dave Cullen in town. He's he's moving to Texas. His family's yeah. here. He's from Ontario. Uh, Jason Vitorino lives a half a block from here. When I'm back and back and forth from Ontario and Texas, so you That's know, cool. eventually I want to make here my full time spot. So we had a we had a pretty close knit group on the senior side, and the seniors we 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 went through it all. Right? We saw it all when we should have won maybe two or three national championships. We knew we're we allowed had, to for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. we we had one year to do it right and uh um we were we were lucky to uh to win it because it's not an easy thing to do with one game uh scenarios you go 31 6 and 4 that year your 98 99 season uh you have a hell of a year like you said um at what point before the season starts do you go i think we got a shot to do to do some damage here we we got the we, we got a team here that might uh, win the whole thing Oh, it was hard because I, you know, I'd never been injured uh, ever in my career and I ended up having a hernia. And also I had just finished scoring after I got back from a hernia, I scored two or three goals one game and then guy slid into the pile and hit my knee. But I don't think any of us had any idea that we were going to go on a run. I mean, our coaching staff sat us down and said it was hard for him to like, you know, you know, think that we were the guys who were going to kind of drive through this thing yeah. to the to get mean back to the next level after sanctions because one of the cool things rads what a lot of people don't know where you could probably make a movie of it is we only played with 12 full scholarships so our coaching i staff, didn't know that actually yeah yeah so you're allowed 18 right so how how teams do it now rads is they 
they, you know, you'll usually carry 25 pretty good players. Some guys will carry 27, 28, whatever you, it depends on the team, but you know, they split hairs, right? So some guys are on fifties and sixties, but you're only allowed 18 full funded. And we only had 12. So we had guys like Nico Dimitriakos. I think he was a walk-on recruit, ended up playing with the Philadelphia Flyers, played for San Jose Sharks, uh, Barrett Heiston, Dougie Janik. We had a lot. We had good freshmen that came from the U.S. development program, and then, then our coaching staff got creative with uh, scholarship funding money, right? So yeah, we ended up winning it with uh, a lot of freshmen and, and uh, a lot of uh, – less scholarships than the, than the other teams. The final was at, at uh, Arrowhead Pond, wasn't it? In Anaheim? Yeah, the final was at Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim. And, That's an odd and location for, for NCAA well, hockey back then because back then hockey wasn't – It's well, it still isn't a big thing in California at all. Like it's an odd place I, to hold a tournament like that. California, you know, since Gretzky's been there, it's kind of like Dallas. Like things have really progressed Changed. over the last 20, year, 20 years. Uh, the weird thing was Anchorage was the host of – of that Anaheim pond. So it kind of came full circle, right? They had the Seawolves logo on the ice. And and so it was kind of interesting that I'm winning it in Anaheim with uh, uh, Anchorage as the host. So that final was against New Hampshire. What was the dressing room? Because they're a rival, your, your guy's a big rival. What was the dressing room like before that game started? Like, what was their nerves? Was it, can you uh, was, this? what was it? What, or was it a little uneasy? What was it like? And what was your confidence level going into that game? Oh, it's crazy because the final four had three hockey East teams, right? So we had Boston College, Maine, UNH, and then Michigan State. And uh, so there was three hockey East rivals, and we all finished top three. We were top in our league until the last weekend going into UNH. We only needed one point. Our trainer had had an accident where he had passed away, and I think all of our minds were kind of not there that weekend. Mm -hmm. And we ended up losing two games. Um uh, right at the end of the season. And we ended up losing to BC in the final of Hockey East Championship. So here we are against our two nemesis in the final four, and we ended up beating BC uh, in the final, you know, in the semifinal. I ended up scoring the OT winner against Boston College, which was a nice, nice feeling. And then going into UNH, we knew we were up for a, a very offensive game. Uh, they had probably the best line that year in the country with uh, Kroger, who you would have probably played against. Yeah. Yep. They had Kroger and Mike Souza and uh, Darren Hadar, who to me to this day is kind of that quiet, ugly player that's just should have played a longer time in the NHL. He had an amazing American League career, but like just nasty as the freshman. He was really good. So. Um, yeah, we, we, we were outshot. Alfie Michaud was our goalie, played a little bit in Vancouver, assistant coach at Maine now, and he just stood on his head. And I think we, uh, we were able to just uh, take it to him in overtime. I think we were the most loose team in overtime because we had done it the night before against Boston College. And I just think um, it was just one of those games where, you know, went back and forth. It was an exciting game to watch. I still watch it now, not because we won, but... It was like, who's going to win this game? Even though you know the ending, right? But what was the first, like when uh, Gustafson scored in overtime, right? What, what, like about 10 minutes in, what was the first thing you remember doing when that, when the puck went in the next, it was on a rebound goal, the whole bit. And it was Ty Conklin, I think, was a net for that. Yeah, one. it was Ty. Yeah. yeah. The, the, they should have won a cup with the Oilers back in uh, 2004 or five it, or whatever year it was. But uh, what was the first thing you remember? Like, were you on the ice for that goal? No, no, I wasn't. Uh, I had just changed off, and uh, Corey LaRose came on for me, and he had made that pass. 
Yeah. Kind of a blindside pass to Gusty coming down the wing, and then he took his own rebound. And Gusty was my roommate during the Anaheim. Uh, so, you know, I had scored the one OT, and then I tried to, and he's like, Stewie, I'm going to score the OT one tonight. And he ended up scoring at the, the, the rat. So he upped me. But uh, I think it's just a surreal feeling whenever you win something. I don't care if it's a national title or a tournament. Uh, that one just was a little bit more um, cool just because of what we had experienced the first three years of knowing we had one of the best teams in the country and you couldn't, it, it's tough not being able to, to win it. Right. And then we went down to our last season. It was, we had such a close group too. Right. So, I mean, when I say close, we're on a group text, every guy, we're still on a group day. text to this day. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So what was the party like afterwards? How long did that last? Well, it's still going, obviously, but how long did well, that party last when, when it was first all, all said and done? So, uh, you know, we had Kurt Russell, who was following us the whole time because his kid was a goalie at the time, right? Yes. Trying to, to be. And so Kurt was from originally from Maine, so he had spent a lot of time with us. And I, after I had scored uh, the semifinal game, I went up to see my parents in the stands, and they were talking to Kurt. And so I said, why don't you come down with me? and meet the guys we ended up having them at our practice our off day the next day because mm -hmm. uh, the, the the title game's a day later so we ended up having them there and he became great friends with sean walsh our coach sean actually stayed at at him and goldie hans place in california when he was going through cancer treatment before he passed away right so he really became like a big part of our, our ecosystem and then you know he hit a bunch of us up for that miracle on ice to see if you know a few of us wanted to but at that time, I was like, oh, I better, you know, make 300 bucks a week playing pro, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, it was fun, man. The, the after party was crazy. Uh, you know, we went back to the, to the hotel and it was nuts. And then we flew into Portland, Maine, which is about two hours from our school. We landed at 12, just after midnight. And we were like, I wonder if anybody's going to be there. And the whole airport was packed. And then they they did a cop escort with cops in the front and behind us to, all the way back to campus. And when we showed up to the rink, we were like, I wonder if there's gonna we're gonna get that same you know yeah. reception. And there was toilet paper, and you could tell there were some events. And we we're like, ah, shoot. Well, it's three in the morning. So as we're driving, I had lived off campus. Five of us lived in a house. So you might you might have seen Brendan Walsh on Spitting Chicklets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Walsh, he was my roommate, my classmate, one of the best guys you'll ever play with, heart and soul guy. Um, uh, Jason Vitorino, Dave Cullen played in the NHL. And then AJ Begg, he was I think he might have played in Nanaimo a few years before you, but he was a he's a BC guy. So we're driving back, and all of a sudden there's all these cops, and they stop us. And they're like, boys, where are you going? And we're like, uh, well, we're, we're just driving down that road, which is about half a block. And then we turn right. He says, well, boys, enjoy it. So when we drove down and turned right, it was just lined up the streets to our house. And when we went in there, it was like you'd never seen anything like it. Right it was on. like the old National Lampoon's. Uh, Animal House the whole day. Yeah, it was Animal House. And we, it, we yeah, it was, uh, it, my lips are sealed now. I'm married, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was a definitely a crazy last two or three uh you know weeks of school that we had. How did you end up in uh, Syracuse? You went there at the AHL for a little bit. Like how did that come about? What was the was you, you didn't have a contract, you're not drafted. How do you end up in Syracuse when you're so when Dave, you're, yeah, you're... Dave Nonis. Remember Dave Nonis was the yeah. GM in Vancouver with Berkey, so 
Uh, he had been at our final four, asked me and Marcus if we'd come play for Syracuse. Uh, Malcolm Hardy was the coach. What a legend. But they were really struggling at that time, asked us to stay longer, but we had to go back. So it was just a weekend stint because we knew we had to finish school. But, um, you know, nonetheless, it was a great experience going into that next year, right, of of uh, American League versus East Coast. What do you do? What do you do? You know, so. What, so, so what, how did he end up in the coast? Like, you're not drafted. You don't have a contract. And like I said, with, with Blair Manning, yeah. weeks back when he, he's like, I, I was going to go to school. So he had a WHL money. He could go and, and, and do this, do that. And he didn't want to play in the coast league. How did you end up uh, in, in mobile Alabama of all places? Well, they had, the, they had those two ways and three ways back then. Yeah. Remember? So uh, what led me to Ottawa a couple of times, you know, so the, at that time, it was Guy Chouinard, who was the coach of Grand Rapids. But back then, they were the sought-off place to go to in the IHL. When you were dwindling down your NHL career, guys wanted to be in Grand Rapids. It was kind of like them in Chicago Wolves. It was like, who paid the most? So they got majority of those top-end guys, right? Kip Millers and Johnny Grudens. A lot of these guys were like All-Americans. And, and um so we ended up there and Guy had said to me and another guy who I was playing, it's, you know, uh, I forget his name, but he was a St. Lawrence player. said, you guys are, uh, Earl Cronin was his name. He said, you guys have, should be on our team, but because we have Ottawa now in the mix and all these old age NHL guys, why don't you, um, Bobby, go to Team Canada? and play in Calgary because it could be a good, you know, the national program they used to have. Yeah. yeah. The national, national program. So I called my parents and my dad says, don't make a mistake again. Right. Go to the Canadian national program. And I'm like, well, dad, I just played like only 30 some games. I was hurt last year. I want to play. Like, I got to play some. Well, I feel like I got to play some games. Right. And, uh, so the assistant coach, uh, the mobile coach was at that camp the whole time. And so he was trying to convince me to go to, to that affiliate. So I ended up going there and having a really good rookie year. I was, I was playing with some good players. It was an eye opener. And, but uh, I knew, you know, look at, I don't want to play in the coast for six, seven years here. Right. Mm-hmm. So and the next year, the next year I went to uh, Ottawa's camp, then Grand Rapids. And I, I again, I was, uh, they had more of an affiliate base now because it was becoming more real than the first year, right? So the second turn, it had way more yeah. affiliated players. So I had made the team. And then, uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy was the coach at the time and not very well loved by a lot of the guys like Derek King and Michael Picard. And all the old guys were not, uh, you know, big fans of him. Uh, I remember sitting with Marty McSorley, who I met through few buddies uh, a couple years on Manhattan Beach meeting him at like 6 30 a.m and he he has my hockey elite pulled out when I meet him for bagel and coffee right like Jeez. here's a Fort Mac Hi. kid here's a Fort Mac kid who's like watched McSorley his whole life right yeah. it's like I'm enamored that I get to even have like a, a coffee talk with this guy and uh he's like oh you played in because when I left I ended up playing with the K-Wings a little bit too that yeah. year uh when I left he came in with that stick issue with what well, think it was Brashear back. Brashear, he clubbed in the yeah, back yeah, yeah, a little bit. He got yeah, yeah. reassigned there. A little bit, he, a lot of it, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he got, he told me, you know, he had showed up and, you know, Marty had won, what, four Stanley Cups and how many years and, and made a couple of bucks and the whole Yeah. Bit, yeah. 
walked into uh, Cassidy's office to just kind of let him know he was there, and he didn't even turn his chair around to acknowledge that he was there. So Nice guy. Yeah, look at, like, just a weird guy. Not By no means did he have any impact on my uh, NHL career. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, you just – I look at today and I'm like, that that guy is still coaching. He, he wasn't a very uh, sociable or, you know – explain the necessities of the game all that well crazy how guys advance that level and don't have the personal skills or social skills or anything like that and they can just find a way to get through somehow i I don't i've never yeah i mean he was a good player when he played back in the day i've got nothing bad to say about him but just in today's game it's uh it it takes a different criteria to be a coach like jimmy montgomery is a perfect example of, of you know modern coaching today like he's he's you know he's been successful wherever he went right yeah, 2001, 2002, you end up with uh, the guys you spoke of earlier on, Jeremy Millamuck, in the West Coast League, in uh, the Idaho Steelheads. You put up big numbers there. Uh, there was yep. a couple of years back, I can't remember how I came across it. I didn't know spitting tickets existed. It was 2018. And I heard the story of uh, former first-rounder Terry Ryan uh, and his tooth his two situation the whole bit. And he mentioned your name a number of times. And I could just – when he was telling the story – and mentioning your name, I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like Stuart. That sounds like Stuart. No doubt that you were behind that whole that whole shenanigans after after the whole bit." Uh, what's your? I want to hear your side of that story. How that all came it's, about? It's it's a great story. So first and foremost, Boise, Idaho, is one of the most underrated places I've heard that on the planet, bar none. So I was going to either go to. I was offered a, a one way with Providence in the American League, making like twenty five grand, paying for you. At that point, I was 27, 26. And it's not like today, maybe you can make it at 27, 28, right? I knew like, hey, look at it. I'm either going to go to Europe, most likely. So at that time, I was sorting out like the British Elite League and some other opportunities in Germany. And Millsy again calls me in midsummer. Great recruiter. Yeah, like you know, they say smart guys, you know, learn from their first mistake. I clearly, I'm not a smart guy. Right. So, <laughs> so Millsy says, why don't you just come out here for the summer? We'll Another fly here. Disaster coming up. Yeah. Or whatever. And, and at that point, you know, I, I just finished in Jackson because when I, my rights got traded in Kazoo, whatever, I got traded for a couple guys on the coast. Uh, Jackson, we should have won it, but like just for whatever reason it didn't line up so i was still i still had that hunger to really win um and so boise john oliver you might have heard his name bouncing around back in the days he was an old bchl guy and he just had a lot of success when you would have came out of junior he was tacoma and then boys like he always had these great teams and pulled a lot of guys that west coast hockey league was kind of like the new ihl yeah. Not that the pay was the same, but the the flying and the travel and the arenas and the city were quite um, enticing to go to. So I went there and I was like, I sewed up in Boise and I'm like walking around. And I'm like, holy smokes, this is like fucking Pleasantville. Like everybody's riding their bike, happy as crap. <laughs> I'm like, have a couple nights out with the boys. And I'm like, ah, you know what? They're putting together a great team here. Uh, Terry Ryan, first rounder, Jeff Chevalier, Cal Ingraham scored 46 with Paul Cree and Jimmy Montgomery on that 42-1-2. and two. Blair Allisoner was our goalie. We had tons of American League hockey guys that now are kind of like married, have kids, Boise, that, that W 
West Coast Hockey League could set up guys, right? Like still make enough money where you're like, okay, look at, you know, I can figure out my next steps after and still have fun uh, not traveling the bus every weekend, right? So ended up, uh, we ended up losing that year, but T-Bone was, you know, we lived in this complex and Terry Ryan was just, to this day, one of my favorite guys out there. I He's entertaining. I I listen to his stuff all the time on YouTube. Listen, I mean, and his show is doing well. And, you know, he's yeah. a guy you want to see do well. As you get older, you want to see people do well, right? So, you know, he probably didn't. The problem with T-Bone was Terry had such a great Western Hockey League career. Yeah. Probably signed with the wrong team. Drafted uh, by the wrong team, signed with the wrong drafted team. Drafted by the wrong team. And, and yeah. not just that, he you know, Terry really became like a work workout guy after his pro career. And a lot of us back then weren't huge workout guys, unless you went into some D one regimen that really taught you, right. This is how you're supposed to train and treat your body. So T-bone was already banged up. You know, when I met him, he was still young, 23, 24, 25, but already six, seven years of pro, right. Fighting the toughest guys and scoring goals. And well, I he think was putting just, 200 and some penalty minutes together in 17 years. Yeah. Old in Western and, league. Yeah. And the wear and tear and he had hurt his ankle and you know once you hurt your ankle a few times and and shoulders it you know it's 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 a downhill spiral quite quick so we all lived in the same complex i lived with the guy kevin smith who's ryan smith's brother kevin yeah. smith played for hartford whalers and smitty was you know again probably on the same dynamic level as ryan just different olivia a little bit heavier set they went to that school remember in uh, Saskatchewan, the Catholic school. Oh, uh, uh, Karenport. Karenport. They both went through there. I don't right? know how I remember that, but yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smitty, Smitty was a little bit of a doozy. Brian so Crest up... Bible College. Yeah, so. That's he, what it was, yeah. Yeah, so he, you know, Smitty had, you know, unfortunately had a slap shot that took his eye out. So he was playing one eye, uh, you know, in his later half of his career, and you can't play in the American League with one eye, so. But the kid was still scoring like at will. That's how good he was, right? So we all lived in the same complex together. I lived with him and Dion Darling, who came back from Russia, another Alberta guy, played in the American League for years. And um, Terry just pops over one day. And he's like, Stewie. And his teeth, when, when he, we got to camp, his teeth were completely effing mangled. And so he had mangled them in ball hockey because he was an avid ball hockey guy. Team Canada, Newfoundland holds like pretty serious ball hockey league, I guess. No, right? I so. It's I probably me that. making fun back then. Of, now I play pickleball and I'm all serious about pickleball. And I was like, you know, what's this ball hockey shit? But I guess you just – so he had mangled the shit out of his teeth. And because you're not insured it with anybody during the summertime, he came to camp with his teeth just looking like terrible. Right. So a few weeks in, he shows up at my place with a bottle and he says, Stewie, and he shows up with a chip hammer and a bottle and he calls Millsy too. He says, come on over Millsy, Stewie, like we're going to, we're going to hit my teeth. We're going to get drunk. We're going to hit my teeth. I said, I don't know about this. So I'm drinking with them. I can lip with the best, but I don't have enough courage to go start smashing some guy's teeth. Right. So no. no. He all of a sudden looks at me kind of just weird, grabs that hammer and smashes it repeatedly for about seven, eight times. Now blood squirting all over the fucking place. His teeth are all over. And I'm like, well, T-Bone, the good news is like you smashed your teeth 
The bad news is what the fuck is the plan now, right? Nothing. So he's like, no, man, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out because they're going to still be fresh. We're going to go out to practice. We're going to be the first ones there. And we're going to go early and I'm going to skate around the rink and you're going to skate. I'm going to skate around the net and you're going to let a slap shot go. And it's going to come close to my head and I'm going to go down and I'm going to start grabbing my face and re reopening all my wounds or whatever. Yeah. So we show up there and we're the only two on the ice trainers on the bench. I didn't see John Oliver, our coach, kind of go, you know, what, you know, Stewie and what are these two assholes Ryan are out 35 minutes practicing shots. This is awesome. Like, what, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> I didn't see him out there. So T-Bone comes, kind of gives me the eye. Let's do it now. So he comes around the net. I missed them by like six, seven feet, not even close to his face. He goes down in the corner like somebody shot him with a yeah. with a rifle. The grassy knoll. Of the- and he's down the there, and you can yeah. see him digging his face and digging it. And he's so he he goes down, and I skate to the bench, and the trainer's like, "What the hell happened, Terry?" And John Oliver's looking at me, going like, "I don't get it. Like a shot missed this guy. Like what the fuck." He didn't even really kind of reenact or bug us about it. But anyways, long story short, he ended up uh, getting them all bought and paid for, right? That's so. great. I, I, I love that kind of shit. The, uh, no, that's funny. You, you, you lasted one year there. Then you went to Fort Wayne. Uh, you ended up playing with your brother for a year. You actually, you guys won a, a championship in Fort Wayne. Uh, your first year there with another Notre Dame guy and a guy we played junior against because he played in Fort Saskatchewan. I think Kelly Perroque. Remember him? Yeah, killer. So, no, I, I ended up signing an Esbjerg. So if you see on a hockey elite, I went to Denmark. Well, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. yeah, if you look, so I went to Esbjerg and I played eight games, if you look on elite prospects. So I ventured off in July. I wanted to play in Europe. So when I got there, uh, do you remember a kid, Jeremy Vannon? Yes, Notre Dame kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That donkey. I didn't like the kid. But, uh, yeah, he wasn't he, ever, I was never a favorite of yeah, mine. Yeah, he, 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 he was an Esbjerg uh and he ended up stealing my – he got into town a few days early and ended up taking my place. So I was ended up way out in the boonies and, like, then the payments were different than they said. And so my uh, my agent at the time was – remember Frankie Peter Angelo? You would yeah. know. because Goalie. Yeah. Yeah. Hartford Whaler. Yeah. So he's like, just stay put. We'll get you to the Dell or something like that. And I was talking to Chalk or Colin Chalk. Uh, and and I do hockey schools with Chalker. He coaches Bakersfield now. Won five championships, five or six with Fort Wayne mm-hmm. by the time he left. He coaches the American League now. Um, but I was talking to Chalker on text and Kelly Parole, and they're like, come to Fort Wayne, Bobby. And they, they you know, the Frankies have ran that organization since 1989 or 90, right? Yeah. And they've done an amazing, they've treated this like a business they could host a NHL team in that town, right? Uh, Comets have been around since the the, the right. 40s, 50s. Yeah, you know, you know, the year I was there, they were averaging eight thousand a game, and you know, we ended up ended up winning it that year. But uh, Fort Wayne is again like just an immense hockey town that I had is such a great experience, right? So, um, lots, of, yeah. Kelly Pro was on that team. I was Kelly Pro went through a, go- a growth spurt between grade twelve and junior. Somehow, I don't know how he did it, but he did somehow. Oh, and we brought in, you know, a guy you would know too. Uh, not that you played with him, but he was a Bonneville guy. Check. So we had Cabana. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him pretty well. Yeah, we actually. played against, and, and Cab- Cabana's played against because we played against Quad City, Cities in the finals, and Clint yeah. was on. 
Clint yeah. was on the Quad City. So yeah, we had we had some you know guys like him that came came into the tail end that really had the nucleus to your hockey team. He was a great teammate, right? So yeah, he's a different cat. He I, there wasn't much between his ears, but he go like a bastard. That that guy. That he is one of those smart. You know, he's one of those guys. If you the the you read the rich neighbor, and you wonder how the hell they became rich. He's one of those guys that's just like contract trade guy gets things done heart and soul and then saves money and he's probably one of those guys worth like 10 million right now and you wouldn't know it right that's yeah, crazy so, uh you yeah. played your last year pro with your brother what was that like playing with uh, with dan yeah it was good i was i ended up buying you know having a place there in fort wayne i was going to spend a few more years there uh my brother went to boise uh to try out and at that time uh he had a great camp and then they moved him to uh said maybe it's best to go to um in california there i just drew a blank the the port there they had a team in the west coast hockey league and and uh the tough guy was coaching and kaminsky was coaching at kevin well, Kaminsky. Long, Killer, beach. Kaminsky yeah. long beach was long beach and my brother called me and it was before the season started and he said hey listen i'm not one coming out of college you're like one seem like i'm complaining but it it seems like a real shit show here like do you, do you think there's room for me in Fort Wayne? And I said, uh, it's pretty tough because you only had to carry a couple rookies. So he came in and, uh, you know, he's playing a little tentative at the time just because we had a lot of older guys and we had one. Yeah. And we were in a two-on-two short and ice battle with me, him on the ice. And, you know, we, he's five years younger. And, and I, I, I said, hey, I'm going to slash him try and get him going get him out of his comfort zone well, i missed his hand and slashed him pretty much in the neck <laughs> and we ended up we ended up, he ended up dropping the gloves and we ended up dropping the gloves and going at it and he missed really? me yeah he missed me with a couple bombs and uh we went back in the dressing room and, and the guys are like holy fuck boys you guys gonna be okay and yeah and daniel looked at me he said hey can we go to that blippy sub place you know and get those same subs as we did yesterday and guys are just like what you know, the hell like, is going on here? The Stuart yeah, we grew up, Fort McMurray. We grew, up, we grew up three brothers, right? So, yeah, Daniel ended up having an amazing career. So he played a few years in Fort Wayne. Played on that Danbury Trashers team. With, yeah, I read that. Jesus, what a story! Yeah, that and is. Then, yeah, and they lost in the finals there at KZU. And then, and then, my buddy Sean Venadam, who ended up unfortunately losing a leg uh, from a, a freak accident playing pro, broke it, and they didn't. They put the cast on too tight. One of the best leaders and players i played with um had some similar buddies playing um and neil martin and uh there was another guy playing in coventry and they were looking for kind of a shit disturber a guy that could play and daniel ended up going to coventry and he's never left right so played there won a few championships then he ended up coaching uh, an expansion team newcastle got coach of the year and then player assistant and Fife, and now he's been coaching the Coventry Blaze in the British Elite League the last six, seven years. So crazy. Just, just funny. Yeah, he almost was out. You know, you know, he, he was way better than most kids in pro. But sometimes it's like junior. You just fall into the wrong coach, the wrong setting, and then uh, you and know, it's over middle, before you know it. Yeah, it's just... yeah. My middle brother, you know, he he could have played D one too. Had a good junior career, but wanted to go. You know, Wisconsin Superior back then was like the place to go as a D three. Remember, we were playing. There's a lot of good D three programs, right? Midgey was one. Yeah, like I remember. Yeah, yeah, tons. And he ended up going to four Final Fours, and on his last year, he won the national title. Right, so 
When did you uh, decide after your last year in Fort Wayne, you played another couple of years of senior hockey, everybody ends up doing it at some point. When did you say, yeah, maybe like after your, 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 your second year in Fort Wayne, when did you say maybe it's time to call it or was it an injury or what, what, what was it you said? That's, I, well, I, I was about to say, I, want, I, I decided at that point Fort Wayne was such a great experience that I couldn't probably top that. You know, um, we had won the league the next year and then a bunch of us got injured in playoffs. That's the only reason we didn't win it again. But um, I ended up, was going to sign in Austria at that time. I was pondering. And then my uncle had came to me and said, look at, why don't we start a business? And at that time, I think it was just verging on 30 years old. And I'm like, ah, listen, I can't do the bus thing anymore. Yeah. Maybe Europe. And again, even if I go to Europe, yeah. You know, you play a few more years and then you're going to be beating yourself going, I got to, I got to utilize a degree. I got to, you know, I got to get going in life. So it was just perfect timing. Uh, You know, we started an agency business and somehow, um, you know, he taught me a lot. And then, and then we ended up, you know, where I do a lot of things with product development and, and, uh, you know, like I was telling you before, working with Tony Ox group and, kids licenses and making skateboards, scooters, patenting things, I patent game systems. It got just, I remember my first two years in it, I was like, I'm going to be so bad at this because <laughs> I don't know anything else. And I think a lot yeah, of even us, back, I remember back our Notre Dame days, that's a long, long time ago. We were never much one to actually read books or anything really when it came down to it. No, we weren't the most studious group. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, we, we were, we were the late night story time and, and, yeah. uh, uh, bonding that I will never forget, right? Like we had some of the best, uh, you know, memories that I would never give up my days at Notre Dame. And it's, uh, you know, walking over to Gunner, sitting on the balcony with you guys. You guys were like, I, I still think to this day, you guys were, uh, nobody talks about it, but really just uh, a, a penitentiary for kids 17 and under. The Gunner yeah, I, I think there was like uh, a, a lockdown that maybe we'll hear about years later that you Man, guys were just like oh, that one balcony with that because when Jigger and uh, Dave Morn they kicked everybody out of that great big room down there and it was just a, yeah. it was a it was a frat house even though it was uh, I called the gunner the land of bro- the land of broken toys right yeah, so it was something it, else uh, Bobby you that, fun? Yeah, it was something. We had to go over there we had yeah. to go over there. Yeah. Uh, then there was that whole thing with people getting caught going into dorms they shouldn't have been going to, and after the hawk season was done, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, work. What did they call that when you got in shit and you had to? Oh well, yeah, it was season. called work uh, house. No, it was a uh, what were you a work list? Work, work list. You got on list. that for whatever yeah. your work advice. All of us, all of us, found ourselves on work list. There right? was a few situations with work list back in the day. I, no, I wouldn't change any of those those days for. What anything. was your, what Rads? Let me ask you. What was your what was your best moments of uh, being at Notre Dame? Oh man, just, just the late nights and having fun. And I re- there actually there was one night I remember. Fuck me, I, this was funny. You were we were over in Gunner Dorm. And it was just before Christmas time. This is a funny story. And we were talking about how going home with a black eye or something. Do you remember this? Going home with a black eye and the story you could tell. And Jigger and and you, they say, oh, you want a black eye? I'll give you a fucking black eye. And both of you just smoked me right across the face on, on either side. I'm like, this isn't what the hell are you two doing? <laughs> just just the fun. Remember that? And you guys yeah. just both just caught me. I'm well. Thanks, guys. This is a lot of fun. No, and just Rod Collins back in the day giving us shit about God knows what, and just basically 
how we, you know, our parents dropped us off on the first September, what it was, and it was like, see you later. And then, and then that was it. And we were, we were on our own. Like, and it was, we were completely on our own doing our own thing. Yeah. I know it was, yeah, it was like kids raising kids. Right. So it was like, uh, uh, the legendary story for me, which you were involved in was our, our midnight or one o'clock sneak out of the dorms with the new building keys to steal some tests. Do you oh, remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember that? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that might yeah. be the only the only reason why some of us actually graduated that year because there there was a certain uh, brother of an NHLer that that really masterminded that whole deal. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's unbelievable. He like, masterminded yeah, that whole deal, and everybody did pretty well in their finals for some reason. I don't know how, but whatever else. Yeah. You got five. You got a couple more minutes. Do some quick shots. Yeah. Uh, one best player you ever played with that didn't make it. Best player I ever played with that didn't make it. That's a that's a great question. Uh, usually, I could think of the top of the head some of the guys who you know, like Harry York, had a little bit of a stint. Well, not a little bit, but a big stint. But I'd probably say uh, all the guys I played with. It's it's tough. I would probably say, you know. Ross Harris was a pretty good player. Tony Fernet, those are guys that didn't make it, could score goals, you know, score goals in minor pro too. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the guys I played with where you would say that still had like a stint here and there, right? Like whether it was four games or five games in the in the show. Yeah. Um, you know, that's Harris probably. Harris a good player. I remember you guys brought him up that year or got him from God. I can't even remember where you guys got him from that year, but that, that he was such a good player and a good acquisition for you guys that, that to AJHL season there. He was, he was a great player. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, when you start getting up the levels, you play with guys that, you know, probably the most natural, probably for sure the best guy I ever played with that didn't play in the NHL was Cal Ingram. Right. Yeah. So that Cal Ingram, five foot four, um, he's got, he's got a barrel on him on his stomach. Like he hasn't worked out in 45 years. Right. And that, that kid was, hands still to this day even paul korea says it who's the best hands you've ever played with and it was kelly graham right so Ingi didn't have the speed he was small yeah but he just played the game better than i had played any with anybody right great hand eye etc toughest guy you ever played with toughest guy i ever played with I'm going to have to give it out to my buddy here in Texas, Jeremy Oblonsky. We're good buddies. Oh, I remember that name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so Yabo's a, a – Yabo, you know, had a – played a little bit. St. Louis, tough guy. Big, long career in the American League fighting his buddy, uh, cousin uh, Morasti, John Morasti all the time. He was on Shorzy with uh, yeah. Terry Ryan. So I have to give it to Yabo. Yabo's probably the toughest guy I've played with. Most ridiculous thing that made you say, what the fuck was that going on after a game? After after a game? Oh, I don't know. That would be hazing today. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to sell myself under the bus in a woke culture today. So let me go a different, a different angle. <laughs> That's a trick question. I, I I just think it was probably after a national championship. I saw, you know. Now that I have a daughter, you know, there was a lot of uh, nakedness in our in our in our college hockey house, right? So, 
And 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 it was uh, self-employed. It wasn't us asking them to. They just did it right after we won it. So I'd probably say that was the craziest. Uh, it was like, you know, keg kills with sororities, kind of fun, right? So yeah. it was good. Uh, other than the uh, the overtime goal in uh, NCAA semifinals, the other most memorable goal you ever scored. Most memorable goal I ever scored. I would probably say. I had a couple of good ones in the old series. Uh, even though I, you know, I, I, I scored two or three overtime win. I think I scored three overtime winners in the in the Idaho finals against Fresno. Oh, really? So we lost in game seven. Yeah, I scored. Uh, we were down three zero or two zero, and I ended up scoring th- uh, two or three OT goals right back to back to back. So that was kind of neat. We should have won it that year, but I would say probably the Idaho uh, OT, um, and then. But my most memorable goals being on the ice when we scored uh, the OT winner, I did a backhand wraparound, leaving the zone in OT, hit a guy on the fly, and uh, we ended up scoring against Quad City to win it in Fort Wayne. So, yeah, it was uh, it was nice to win a, a championship in Fort Wayne because I'm going back March 4th for championship 20th, and they treat you like old that city. Yeah. Wasn't one of the ninety you scored on me in the two seasons? The AJ hey, couldn't could, could pinpoint oh. which one. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you. I, re- I remember one of them slap shot coming over the blue line and went right over your shoulder, and I started lipping you. And you're like, Stewie, not fucking today, please. Not today. <laughs> not today. You already had me for eight. Probably it was one point. of those ones. It was like you hated me, but you also lived with me, and you knew like. Well, fuck. Kind of have thing, to. The like, worst I, thing I, about I, that is we go up there on a Saturday night and have to wait until. 8.30 for shift change at yeah, some point to play the fucking game. So it was yeah. 8.39 o'clock for the game even started. Then we'd have to play you guys on Sunday afternoon. And like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. I know. We, I know. We, we we get the odd win here and there against you guys. It wasn't very often. Uh, last one before we let you go here, Bobby. A uh, player that you were scared to play against. They go, I don't want any part of this, dude. Uh, well, it, in pro, nobody scared me, right? Because by then, you just – you get a little bit older and you're let you know you're you're more used to it. Yeah. I would say the guy I was scared of, and it was funny because when I won an Allen Cup uh with Branford in 2008, I saw this guy on the bench and he was coaching the uh, Lloyd Minister team that was in the Allen Cup. Oh, you're not saying Kent Staniforth, are you? So remember him and Glenn Webster used to skate around the ice. Oh team? yeah. I'll have to say that, you know, like you'd go into olds and Nobody scared me, right? It was a tough place to play, but like Kent Staninforth and Glenn Webster had no oh, problem but ending you in the face or or slashing you in the neck. Uh, you know, so like, yeah, again, like pro, nobody scared you. You knew guys were tough, right? But, you know, they didn't come after you. In junior, everybody was kind of fair game. If you just lipped the guy, he was going to just pummel you, right? There was no... Uh, I would say those two guys walking around the ice. I forgot Webster, but Staniforth. There was one game in Lloyd Minster. We rolled in there on a Wednesday night or something. And uh, I was during warm-up, and I said something to Staniforth. I was was going by the blue line. I said something to him I shouldn't have said. And he chased me down the other end, and it, oh, man, all hell broke loose before. Well, we had Davidson and Hanson and and those lunatics too, right? So, yeah, uh, I owed – Davidson and Hanson a couple of beers after that because they saved my life because Staniforth was going to kill like he was actually ready to kill me and it, it, I got to hear what what what's because I I love those times in the Alberta Junior Hockey League right I love my pro career and NCAA but that's something special when you come your it's your first time out of school yeah and you're kind of you know I, I was I guess it was easier for me I was living with my folks at the time but 
um, you know, just playing junior hockey was like it, it it's it's on fast forward right it happened so quick it happened and then- so it was over so quick and like and you're and you're a big fish in a small pond and you think you're somebody and you're having a great time and it's the first time people are paying money to watch you play and it was it was great and the people and the kids and the the fans and everything else like we didn't we didn't fare too well but you were a big fish in a small pond no matter where you play and it was it was great like it, i i enjoyed every second of it like we didn't have much success by any means but playing the game and i wish i would have uh I would have had more fun while I played. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I wouldn't have taken it so seriously. You, you, would, you would have taken maybe the moment to understand the potential of it, right? Yeah. I, like, it was, it, I, think, it, I wish I didn't take it so seriously. And I wish I would, like, we, we took some beatings. I wish I wouldn't have taken it to heart so much is one thing I look back on it and just enjoyed it while it lasted because it, like, these guys who play nowadays and before you know it, you run out of games. Right. No matter what level you're at, you run out of games to play. And, and kids and parents now who take it so seriously at a young age, um, we can talk about that for a second. Like kids and parents who take it so seriously nowadays and they forget that it's a game and it's going to be over, over before you know it. And uh, they, they don't realize that, that you should go out there and try to have a good time. Rads, it's what, uh, what, because of some of the decisions I made at that age, right. And you didn't have advisors and my, my yeah. dad had played, you know, he was one of those old back in the day in Montreal. If you played for the junior Canadians, that was kind of the farm team. My dad's 83 now. Right. Yeah. But he played for that in the form with those guys, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're working as a mill right out in Suncor that, you know, like from an advisement standpoint, where you should go, what do you do? Right. So, yeah. so five or six years ago, before my little guy was born, uh, uh, one of the owners in salmon arm who I grew up with named Dale Unruh, his kid is uh, a Dartmouth now. And it's got uh, Dale Unruh, Brad Shaw, CEO of Shaw Cable. And then um, Mick McBain and, um, and Jim Crozier, who was a goalie at Cornell, actually. One boy plays at Merrimack, his other boy's at Providence. I saw they were in Salmon Arm, and we'd be talking in the summers, and he said, Stewie, do you want to get involved? I'd really like a guy who's been there, done that, who knows the NCAA guys. And I know most of the coaching staffs, whether I played against the guy or whatever, it was just a big shoe in. And so we went in there five years ago to really change the culture. They were like a 500 below 500 team. Uh, the last uh, and the new ownership group wanted to really change that out, outfit and perception. And like today we're sitting with 17 scholarships, Great. possible draft picks. You know, last year we finished second to Penticton in the league this year, we're third or fourth in the conference, but we have the youngest, youngest team. Most of those guys come back um, next year. So we kind of went a different route just with a young, uh, a young pitch, but in all cases, I've been helping uh, Division One, and also like how kids get treated from an advisement standpoint. Because there's a lot of guys out there who aren't NHL certified agents, and they're they're calling themselves advisors now. And what they do is they get like 300 kids, charge each kid like 300 bucks a month. There's a lot of people make a lot of money off off parents nowadays that shouldn't. But be but it's it's it's, actually, it's, but yeah. it's 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 crap. So there's because of the internet and because of advising, there is a least. Uh, some research capabilities as a kid you can do yourself and yeah. figure out which we didn't have right there's also an institution like if you take bonnieville today it that gm and that coaching staff is plugged and made that a division one program yeah right it's not what you played under if you would have played under that you'd be going to division one school rats right it's yeah, a lot different it just is it was, just, they were fledgling the whole bit yeah it's just different it, it, you, remember the different. Like, you look at brooks here in alberta like the way that we yeah, it's northern well ryan papano he kind of you know he took 
the same model of BCHL was grabbing, you're allowed six U.S. kids, right? Yeah. So he would grab six U.S. kids every year, and that's what BCHJ has been doing, BCHL's been doing for years, right. but it's hard, hard to get a, a U.S. kid without marketing and stuff that Bonneville does. But back then, like, you weren't getting a Steve Walker of the U.S. going to Bonneville, yeah. right? So it's it's just it's just different today. It's harder and easier for kids. Um, you know, they become a little bit more scrambled eggs. We're we were way friggin' tougher back then. Oh yeah, mentally. Yep, mentally. Um, but they're smarter. They're not out there boozing, screwing up three, four nights, drinking and and wasting time, you know? Yeah. They, they, they've got popular curriculums put in place and kids are just better kids today. Uh, not that we were bad kids. We had character. Just It was just a different time. Different time. There's no, there's no getting around. They, uh, I don't think that parents, which is odd to say that I don't think parents would understand because like, we're the parents now that would have kids that age play. And like, it's just, it's just different how things are. And I, I, yeah, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that it, it isn't like that. Cause it was uh, like, there was coaches that weren't uh, the nicest people and, and they treated kids pretty bad back then. Yeah. Those were, kids, those guys can't, those guys can't last now. Right. You got the woke, you got the, you know, everybody's, everybody's five seconds away from being fired. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a lot different. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't change it for the world. A few couple little things here and there, but the end result, well, is all of us, did. Right. that's life. That's life. Now look at you, buddy. You're like, you got, I, I can't even keep up how many different podcasts no, you have. You it's, got, like, it's ridiculous. You got it's two or three, three, you got yeah, three, different three. Yeah. So well, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, well, like for the viewers here, explain it because they might not know the difference. Well, fourteen twenty started uh, during the pandemic. I had nothing to do, so I was just uh, yeah. sitting around. I had four beers in front of me, uh, yeah. just doing nothing in my basement. I saw three fifty-five times four. Is you're, you're back to your junior training. So fourteen twenty is three fifty-five times four. And I was because everybody was starting a podcast. Not, I had nothing to do, and then so we started doing. I got back into the baseball scheme of things. So we got that yeah. one going with the Hey Blue podcast, and then we've been tossing around a few ideas for the. Uh, the for a hockey just a complete hockey one and to get in touch with guys like you and harry and blair and i got other guys on, on tap for the the near future so i got this flailing tender because that's what i was so we got that going on with the flailing tender podcast which is getting a lot of uh a lot of listens and, and likes so we got that going on and sponsors and the like and so trying to make a go of it doing something different and something that i enjoy for the first time in in 20 some years so it's been a, a good run uh for sure and well it's, what i see and, get, and, get, and getting in touch with guys like you again and and, and harry and blair that i haven't talked to and 20 whatever years it's been a, a definite pleasure to do it for well, sure if you need if you if you look through any of the rosters you need help on a guy or anyways and I, I know guys love hearing themselves after 20 some years so nobody nobody likes hear, hearing about themselves like themselves there's no doubt about that <laughs> uh, just when you're forgotten right it's nice to be remembered but yeah, i think podcasts are a great thing i think the more conversation pieces you have where it's not always a direct question you're asking Right, yeah, just some yeah, guys BS think, and having a good time, and that's, yeah, it's just. I think, I think, I uh, think, I think you're definitely uh, you've you've got the skill set for it, right? Well, it's been a lot so of fun. As long as you don't put that blocker on, you're okay. Yeah, I don't. I think I sold that stuff. I don't actually. I don't think I sold it. I think I gave it away. I said, take this stuff is garbage to me. I, actually, I, I ended up playing a couple of years senior hockey, playing defense for a couple of years, uh, senior <laughs> B hockey, senior A hockey, whatever it was, back in Fort McLeod where I was born. So I had ended up doing that for a couple of years. I, I should have actually done that right from the right from the get go and forgot about being a goaltender. It would have been a, maybe a, a different I career path. After after your last year junior, did what, what did you do? I ended up going to try out in uh, the uh, Jesus Christ the Southern Hockey League for a little bit. I played there for, yeah. for a while, 
uh, in yeah. Daytona Beach. I went there for a while, and then it just didn't work out because that was the lockout year. The first lockout, yeah. 94, 95, whatever it was. And it was a trickle-down thing. So a bunch of guys were just ended up playing. That was uh, that was it for me, man. And then I just didn't want to chase. I, I was like, I'm not going to chase this forever. That, that That's all it came down to, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, all of us end up in the same place, right? Trying yeah. to make a buck for the family. So. Yeah, Daytona Beach, Florida. It was, it was fun while I was there, though. It was a good time. But, uh, yeah, you, you just saw the writing was on the wall. Like, I, I don't know how long I would have played if it wasn't a lockout. Who knows what could have happened, but the lockout kind of got me a little bit, and that's just the way it turned out. So, whatever. It was fun. It was fun well, while Hey, buddy, sorry about your old man passing away. Yeah, it's thanks. Like, no, it was it was tough. Uh, there was no doubt about that. But we're we're getting through it. And this this year was the first Christmas we're allowed to actually have as the family together because of all the yeah. COVID and everything else. So it was actually nice to remember that and everything else. So it was a, it was a yeah. good time. It was all said and done. How was your Christmas? Good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I didn't. It was the first time I didn't get to spend it with my my folks. But uh, they're uh, they had their fiftieth. Uh, you know, my dad had a little bit of you know like like a lot of our parents. It's a uh, it's a weird medical system in Canada. Yeah. They don't really get a preferred treatment as they get older. I'm not. I'm not here to crap on the Canadian healthcare system, but by no by no means does it do any uh, huge justice for some of the uh, elderly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they had their fiftieth this year, and my dad's doing a little better. So. Uh, it's you know, fortunately, when we get to this age, uh, it's all part of it, man. Yeah, so, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a terrible process. Well, I think what's funny, like you look back on it now, Stu, and, and like we we were talking about when we were 16, 17 years old, and we didn't really know what the hell life would bring us, and then uh, and then the age of fifty was like that was just a number we couldn't even comprehend, and now we're we're both getting to that point where fifties are right around the corner, man. Rats, I got a quick story, and I'll let you go. So my little guy is out on the ice yesterday. And uh, he's six U, and uh, he's just a good kid. But I see like some intuition, like a little rattiness at times on the ice. But you're like, how much rattiness could he really have? He just turned five, right? So yeah. playing with predominantly like kids six years old, seven years old, a lot of older than him. So at the end, they were playing an older team because I think some of the areas here, like you just can't fill the gaps. Uh, age wise so there's yeah. sometimes you know, so they're pretty pretty it was like walking into playing against Staniforth and Webster some of these guys you know uh, oh. so after the uh, after You're they do the handshake of those two. <laughs> after the handshake this guy comes chasing after Max like we're talking five year olds come chasing after him and tomahawks him and then Max tomahawks him back and my guy's not a chippy guy on the ice he might like so he gets off and I'm like what the what the hell happened? Well, like, like you guys are five or six out. What's going on here? And uh, Max is like, I don't know. Uh, did I work hard, Daddy? Did I work hard? I was like, Yeah, you, you worked hard. Good job, buddy. And some kid kind of in really says, Max, I think it's because you said bad game. Because <laughs> supposed to say good game to the kid, and he looked yeah. at a kid and said bad game, bad game. So he's a steward. Yeah, so he's a story. He's officially <laughs> mine. I wasn't, I wasn't sure until that moment. That's what. Okay, he's mine. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> he, he's mine. But yeah, it was. Uh, oh, man, funny. I wish we could go back to those junior days because I don't know if I'd light you up again. But uh, I would have been nicer to you because no, I'm more sensitive now. I, I realize, Rads, you had like 70 shots a night. Half your D were drunk. Or, or getting over a hangover, so it was probably... Oh, uh, man, just the yeah. nightmares. I still twitch at night and suck my thumbs at night when I go back to those days playing it, playing in Fort McMurray at that Thickwood Heights Arena. Is that what, that's what it was called, wasn't yeah, it? Thick, yeah, yeah. Now there was a guy, I'll tell, then we'll, we'll go, but there was a guy who yeah. sat behind our net 
in the one yeah. end, and he would tap a loony or a toonie on the, on the fucking glass and drive yeah. you and drive you nuts. Like, and you could hear it. He would just sit there and tap it, and you'd look back at him, and he would drive you absolutely batty doing that. We had the best, you know. Listen, the the Newfoundlanders are the best, yeah. and we had a lot of Newfoundlanders up in Fort Mac, right? Yeah. So. They were the ones usually verbally attacking. And, you know, right back then, remember, now it was a part. I don't know if you've seen the Cashman Center, which is the old Thickwood Heights Arena. Now it's a bowl. Like, they built it. They redid it, like, where it's a bowl, like, stands all the way around. So, remember back then, they had to put a sheet of plywood over the visiting team's bench because fans were, you know, throwing things at the players. And it was There was one guy, I think I swung my stick at him one night. I almost climbed onto the dash. I was going to kill him because he threw something at me. Oh, it was mayhem back then. It was, yeah, it was mayhem. That, that, that rink still to this day. And like, look at, like, I look at Sam and Arm now. When we got there, they were getting like 700 or 800 a game. And we changed that culture around. Like the other night, they had 18, 1900, right? Crazy. They're packing it, and that's a retirement community that now the university kids are going out and watch. You know, Salmon Arm started putting up, like, just a lot of the cultural moments of kids getting scholarships, banner, and, like, it's just about culture, right? And I think Fort Mac back then was just one of those night shift work by, like, people had nothing else to do but to go enjoy. That was the entertainment, which was the Will Barons, and... And it was a, you know, it was a, it was a really good hockey town. It was a great, great city, right? Should have traded for your rads. We might have won if you would have came in. Yeah, you guys had, you guys did a pretty good with Richie Perrant in that thing. Yeah. He was all right. <laughs> Anyways, Stewie, thanks for, so much for joining us on the Flailing Tender Podcast. We'll have to maybe get Harry involved. We'll have a three-way conversation. Get some other guys to talk with some old AJHL wars. Uh, we'll get you on again sometime in the near future. Yeah, my first shift with Harry was a good one. I think we scored my first time when I got out from playing me and now harry right we're yeah. nemesis now we're playing together in fort mac because i came back as a 20 year old right yeah so our first shift i think we had like three points no it's yeah you guys would have been deadly back then anyways well, like you know, we, ahead, we weren't as deadly we weren't as deadly as uh probably probably uh egos back then but uh yeah, but anyways it was good it was good chatting with you bud good chatting with bobby we'll have to have you on again thanks a lot man okay man bye Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.